So it's uh, John chapter 9, um, starting at verse 1. It can be found on page 1075 of the Church Bibles. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him. Wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. And his neighbours and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go and wash in, in Siloam, and, uh, to go to Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he, he said. Then they brought him to the Pharisees. Then they brought to the Pharisees the man who had been born blind. <coughs> Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How can a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he is a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been born blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he is our son, the parents answered, and we know that he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we do not know. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That was why his parents said, he is of age, ask him. A second time they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, You are this fellow's disciple. We are disciples of Moses. 
We know that God spoke to Moses, but as for this fellow, we do, don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, Now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has, has ever heard of opening the, man, uh, the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they replied, You were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you, lecturers? And they threw him out. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? the man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I hope you've got your Bibles back open at that uh, passage we had read to us, John chapter 9. Uh, we're back in uh, John's Gospel looking at these extraordinary signs, uh, these miracles that John records uh, for us, uh, eight actually if you include the resurrection, um, that show us, I think, why Jesus came into the world, who he is and why he uh, came. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, uh, the radio show Desert Island Discs. Uh, where a famous person gets interviewed and he has to choose or she has to choose her favourite eight records that she would have or he would have if they were ever stranded on a desert island. I think it would take me weeks, maybe even months to work out my top seven or eight. Well, John records just eight miracles in his gospel and it's not because he's not got a lot to choose from in fact he says if he were to record all that jesus had done and said it would fill not just a whole library it would fill the world so i imagine he must have spent a long time thinking about which to include uh, in his playlist and i hope today that we'll see why he included this particular sign this particular miracle and we're just going to get a glimpse really of what is going on in this amazing story but I do pray it will lead us to, to delight and to worship uh, Jesus as he continues to be the one who opens eyes. Let's pray together as we come to look at this passage. Uh, dear Lord Jesus, please open our eyes this morning that we might see wonderful things uh, in your words. Uh, help us to see something of the glory of who you are uh, and what you do so that we might ourselves be led to wonder and delight and worship. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've picked this up very much so far in this series, uh, uh, but if you know anything of John's gospel up to this point, it's striking uh, that as Jesus does ever more wonderful things, um, so the opposition and uh, hatred of Jesus grows too. And in spite of the wonderful thing he does, uh, salvaging a, a wedding on the skids, uh, uh, healing a, a loved son on death's door, uh, raising a paralyzed man, uh, feeding the hungry miraculously, uh, even the majority of people who witness those signs uh, miss their true points. And some even become 
uh, enemies of Jesus. In fact, by the end of chapter 8, some have got to the point of picking up stones and rocks to stone Jesus right there and then. And it's true that there's something about Jesus that seems to divide people right down the middle. And Jesus is not surprised by this. In fact, in verse 39, just the end of our reading, he acknowledges that reality. Uh, Some will encounter Jesus as the light of the world, a claim that he makes in uh, this chapter, as he did in the chapter before, uh, and gloriously they're going to see. But others are going to encounter Jesus and get left with this terrible blindness, even more tragic than physical blindness. So the question this morning is very simple. As Jesus reveals himself to us in this sign this morning, will it be eye-opening or eye-closing for us? Uh, Just a couple of nights back, I was uh, driving in the dark through some very small and windy roads, and I realised I didn't have my four beams on. I turned them on, and suddenly, wow, you could see. Amazing. Everything was lit up and clear. But just a few moments later, uh, another car came towards us uh, with their lights on, and they didn't dip them. And it was dazzling. I actually almost closed my eyes, even though I was driving at the brightness and brilliance. And that's what light can do, can't it? It can illuminate and it can blind. And Jesus says, for judgment I've come into this world, that those who do not see may see. And those who see or think they see may become blind. And in this story, I think we're going to see both responses. If we get time, we'll look at both of them. Uh, Gloriously, we see a man who is blind, seeing for the first time. And not just physically. Wonderful though that is, he comes to see with new spiritual eyes for the very first time. But chillingly, in the same event, we see those who are absolutely confident they do see becoming more and more blind. Well, just notice how this encounter begins. Uh, before this man ever sees Jesus, we read, verse 1, that Jesus sees him. Just like so many of the encounters in John's Gospel, uh, uh, like the story of the woman in the world, for example, Jesus is the great initiative taker, isn't he? And in this morning, if we've had our eyes opened, um, it's because Jesus took the initiative. Uh, he was uh, committed to making himself known. And if we're Christians this morning, that is gloriously reassuring, but also profoundly humbling too, isn't it? Of course, to be blind, it's a great tragedy, isn't it? And John's very keen, isn't he, in this story to stress that this man had never, ever seen, never seen a sunset, never seen the simple beauty of a, of a single flower. Yes, never glimpsed that moment, uh, a smile breaks over a face. This man's life, had, in, for its entirety, had been lived in darkness. We can't linger here too long, but notice as Jesus' attention is drawn to this man, uh, his suffering uh, provokes a theological debate amongst his disciples. Uh, whose sin caused this man to suffer? Sin of his parents? Or even the sin of this man himself, perhaps even before he was born in the womb. Very revealing, isn't it? The disciples want to debate and blame. Jesus is gloriously different. He wants to change this man's reality. But did you notice in this discussion, Jesus is very clear. We can't often make a a simple link between uh, suffering 
and specific personal sin. Maybe that's a good thing to hear this morning. The world is not run on the basis of karma. You simply can't assume that those who suffer most are those who sin most. But notice too, Jesus doesn't just shrug his shoulders and speak of a world that's random, where some get lucky and others just get hurt. A world, as Richard Dawkins puts it, without rhyme or reason or justice. Now actually here, Jesus speaks about suffering with meaning and purpose. I don't want to sound trite in any way or downplay suffering, perhaps your suffering this morning. But even if suffering remains a mystery in terms of why me, why this, the Bible and Jesus here does assume that as we experience suffering in God's loving hands, it is never pointless or purposeless. And yes, this might sound hard, and it might be something we'll have to chew over and wrestle with. But actually, here's where we find true comfort, isn't it? In knowing that there is a God who has purpose, uh, even in our suffering. I know that that's a testimony of many people even here this morning. Uh, though real, agonizing suffering We've glimpsed that truth somehow in our own lives. Yes, there might be lots of confusion, many tears, but there's purpose. And here in this story, Jesus declares that God's works, what he's about, what he does, is going to be revealed uh, through this man and his suffering. See, that's what uh, this man truly needs. He needs a work of God, doesn't he? In this case, to see uh, a God not only able to open his physical eyes, but his spiritual ones too. In fact, if we only see in this miracle a God who opens physical eyes, uh, we've kind of missed the greater point, haven't we? It's like, again, looking at the sign, but ultimately missing the very thing the sign points to. And John, actually, I think here, seems to help us avoid that danger as he describes what happens and homes in on some rather strange and unusual details that I hope kind of puzzled you as you heard that reading just a few moments ago. The first obvious question, I think, is why does Jesus do this physical healing in a very unique way? He forms mud, doesn't he? He, he spits into it and then puts that mud on the man's eyes and then sends him off to the pool uh, uh, to wash. Does that, that puzzle you? Are we kind of reading with our antenna up? So Jesus could have said, couldn't he? No, be open. And he would have seen. Uh, some uh, commentators get very excited about mud and the healing properties of mud. That is a blind alley. Perhaps there are things though, that are unusual here that help us see a bit more why Jesus works uh, and how he works. Maybe I'm reading more into this than I should, but can you remember anywhere else in the Bible where someone takes dust and mud from the ground to do something remarkable? Not a trick question. Remember Genesis 2? Bible accounts God creating human beings from dirt, from dust. Giving Adam yeah, physical life, but actually more than that, spiritual life too. And now we're seeing Jesus, aren't we, doing, well, God's stuff. Giving us clues as to who he is through this miraculous healing. 
But secondly, I wonder too whether this is a way in which the whole physical healing kind of sort of happens off stage, doesn't it? Jesus' way, perhaps, of helping us avoid just seeing the physical miracle, but seeing, I think, a greater miracle that has to be, I think, centre stage, uh, the climax of this encounter with uh, Jesus that brings spiritual understanding and life as this man sees Jesus. And then third, I, I don't know, this is getting, I'm, maybe I'm speculating, but the, the application of mud on this man's eyes results, is it, in the need for, for washing. A, a washing that this story and its narrator is very keen to keep stressing. He went and washed, he washed. And where is the man directed for that washing? He's directed to this pool called Siloam, which literally means scent. Now, I'm not the quickest off the mark, but if you read John's Gospel, Jesus is the one who is sent. He's sent. Chapter 1, he's sent. Even in our chapter, he's sent. And now this man heads off to a place called Sent to be washed. I wonder if Jesus is giving you a picture of how all spiritual eyes are ultimately opened. As the one come as the light uh, to give that washing and cleansing from the dirt of our sin, um, sends this man off uh, to be washed at a place called Sense. Well, wonderfully, that journey to the pool called Sense uh, results, doesn't it, in a, an amazing miracle, a miraculous physical healing. Through Jesus, the blind man's eyes are open for the first time. For the first time, he goes home from his begging patch, um, uh, seeing. Just imagine what a moment. Darkness turned to light. Faces now belonging to voices. Countless colours and images assaulting his senses, his eyes. Eyes functioning for the very first time. It's a glorious moment, isn't it? Hard to imagine. Though remarkably understated uh, in John's account, because he's preparing, I think, for something greater still. And then suddenly, uh, look down here, it's neighbours and friends who are wondering whether uh, they need their eyes sorting out. Uh, Can this be the man they knew? Uh, The one blind, once begging? Uh, Some say yes, some say no, it just looks like him. Well, this man is very eager, isn't he, to, to sort out the confusion. Verse 9, I am the man, he joyfully announces. And he's more than happy to explain what's happened. He's clearly uh, sketchy about lots of things, isn't he, about Jesus. But he doesn't hold back on showing what he does know. The man they call Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and to wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Well, something of the magnitude of this miracle uh, clearly has big implications, and so these guys decide to take him uh, to the religious authorities to see if they can make sense of what's happened. And you notice, don't you, how, just how much this event clearly rattles the, the Pharisees. They even launch a, a full inquiry into the matter. They look down at verse 22, an inquiry, it seems, that has reached its verdict on the miracle and on Jesus, even before the evidence is presented and the witnesses heard. 
But interwoven into that process, let's notice the greater miracle unfolding as this man finally comes to see Jesus. Not just with his physical eyes, but comes to see him with his spiritual ones and comes to that place of recognition and worship. Well, notice uh, as uh, he receives his physical sight, that receiving of spiritual sight isn't an instant process, is it? it? It's gradual. It takes time for his eyes spiritually to be opened uh, for light to dawn. As we saw, he, uh, the first, he, he knows almost nothing, does he, about the one who's given him sight, just his name. Uh, but during this interrogation by the Pharisees, it seems to dawn on him that Jesus can't be just some other bloke he's met like all the others. No, he has that kind of power uh, to open the eyes of the blind. Verse 17, he must be, mustn't he, he says, uh, some kind of prophet. And then look down by verse 33, he is confident and clear that the power that Jesus has displayed means he must have come from God. For rightly claims, no, no man could do what he's done unless he were from God. And notice how he won't budge from that conviction in spite of the angry assertions of the authorities who are hell-bent on discrediting Jesus. Well, if this, uh, this process of spiritual sight is gradual, uh, I love the way, too, it's no sort of leap in the dark. Do you see how it's based on real evidence? It works, doesn't it, with the facts. Once I was blind, now I see. Has anyone heard of that sort of power, he argues? If this man weren't from God, he would be no different from me. He could do nothing. Well, for those like uh, Richard Dawkins, who claim that faith is a great excuse to evade the evidence or properly evaluate it, or faith is some kind of belief in spite of the evidence, he's not denying it. Um, this man, he's confronting it, isn't he? He's, he's, looking, he's grappling with it. And he's not avoiding where it takes him. Unlike the religious leaders, uh, his inquisitors. Journey of sight based on evidence. Notice too, uh, that journey to sight is one that's opposed, isn't it, all the way through. Uh, the Pharisees are very clear, aren't they, what this man should believe and even exert that kind of pressure on him uh, to reject Jesus and to side with them, to denounce Jesus as a sinner. And soon they resort to, resort to insulting the man before eventually excommunicating him from the synagogue. That threat of being kicked out of the synagogue was a reason why his parents actually remained silent, verse 22. But now this man, is interesting, isn't it? as the opposition grows, so does his boldness as he audaciously challenges the blindness of those who not so much couldn't see, but wouldn't see. And notice, I think that's interesting too, he's clearly so ignorant about so many things, but one thing he knows, he's sure of, and he can't get over it once he was blind, but because of Jesus, now he can see. Now notice how the story reaches its great climax. Having opened the, the man's physical eyes, Jesus now prepares to open his spiritual ones, uh, to reveal himself and his glory to this man. 
So again, uh, Jesus uh, seeks him. Just as with the, the physical healing, Jesus is the one, isn't he, taking that initiative. And then as Jesus finds him, he gets right to the very nub of the issue with his question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? Do you believe in the Son of Man? Perhaps the significance of that question is slightly lost on us, but for, for a Jew uh, steeped in the Bible, he would know uh, who Jesus was speaking of. That figure described in the Old Testament, the book of Daniel. Uh, human, yes, that's clear from the title, but also the one who rules over God's eternal kingdom. The one described as having all of God's authority, power. The one who rightly will be worshipped by all nations, people of every background and languages. That's the son of man. Jesus, do you believe in him? I love the man's response. He says, tell me so that I may believe. It's like an admission of blindness, of ignorance, but also of need. Expression of longing. And then Jesus says these incredible words. You've now seen him with your own eyes. In fact, he's the one speaking with you. How does a man respond? His eyes, aren't they? They're finally opened. He knows he's in the presence of the Son of Man. He knows not only can he now see light, but the one standing before him is the light of the world. And he falls to his knees. His eyes are opened. And he worships, worships Jesus. So here's my question really this morning. It's really the only question we need to ask. Uh, have we seen Jesus like that? This morning, are we worshippers of Jesus? So I don't ask, why are we here this morning? Is it because we want to see Jesus? And we want to have our eyes open to his glory so that we might worship him. We're actually not going to have time to look at those who claim to see, but ended up blind. But if you're someone here this morning who says, I don't yet see, I wouldn't call myself a Jesus worshipper or a believer, let me encourage you this week to revisit this story. And just look particularly at the responses of those who don't see. And ask yourself, is the reason I don't see because there's not enough evidence for me to believe? If I don't see, why don't I see? Well, do reflect on this story, and let me urge you, and even challenge you, that as you do so, that you would ask Jesus to open your eyes. You would ask Jesus to open your eyes. As I finish, if we have seen, we've glimpsed something of Jesus, it changes everything, doesn't it? It changes everything. Just a few things that change. It changes the way we see the world, doesn't it? 
a world with God's fingerprints all over it, his works being displayed everywhere. A world created to, for us to know God and to enjoy him. You know, I, was just, I was listening to a scientist this week who was speaking very eloquently, very learnedly about the worlds that we live in. Amazing facts, amazing insights. Uh, he's an atheist. And I marvel at the things that he can see, but I, I weep over the things he can't see. Silly illustration, but I remember once coming home uh, after a long day and finding a cake on the table. And it's uh, very interesting, a really incredibly well-made cake. I could have spent half an hour exploring the chemical composition of the cake. But I enjoyed the cake by eating it. And I enjoyed it particularly because I know someone had made it for me because they love me. Now, I weep for those who don't see that in the world that God has made. We see the world differently, don't we? Yeah, I think we see other people differently, don't we? Not like the disciples wanted to judge and point the finger. But actually, we see others, even those who are still blind, just like us, except for the fact that God in his grace has done something incredible in our lives. Wouldn't it be great this week to point people to the one who gives sight? Maybe we haven't got all the answers, but we can simply say, once I was blind, now I see. Jesus has opened my eyes. Perhaps most importantly, of course, we see Jesus differently. He's the one who saw us in our knees, who came to open our eyes, to wash us, to take away the dirt of our sin that we might see. Just before I went on holiday, uh, I gave our car a bit of a wash. It's filthy. Car's at the back window. Um, and you know how washing works, don't you? I had a nice bucket of clean water. I started washing. The car got clean. The water in the bucket got filthier and filthier black. It's how washing works, isn't it? And it's how washing works when it comes to us too. Jesus carrying our sin, becoming sin for us that we might be clean. And as we see him, as we see that wonderful work of Jesus in our lives. We've got a glimpse of what Jesus does. It's a question, how can we do anything but worship and live lives that increasingly display his praise and his glory and his worth? So the question really is, is this isn't it, can we see? See, seeing, knowing Jesus uh, changes everything. Let's pray as we finish. Father, we've already prayed. Open the eyes of our hearts. Lord Jesus, please open our eyes this morning even wider. Perhaps for some, we need to have that miracle done for the very first time. Maybe for others, we've just lost sight of Jesus. Hearts have become hard, perhaps we're indifferent cold we need that washing again so that we can see but wherever we are we need that same thing and so we thank you this morning that you are the the god who opens eyes please keep doing that miracle in us that we might be those who see your worth 
can gratefully and joyfully worship you. For Jesus' sake. Amen.